Hello. So we're going to get started in just a minute. Oh, I'm quite loud. Um, can I come down a little bit, please? Is that okay? Thanks. Perfect. So we're going to be starting in a couple of minutes. So if you want to come and get your seats, um, and then we're going to pick up. If you've not met me before, my name is Robin, and we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10 in just a moment, if you want to find it in your Bibles. But don't worry, it will appear on the screen um, when we get to it. I, as I said, I'm Robin, and I absolutely love films. I really enjoy watching films in the cinema. I enjoy watching films at home with friends or with family or on my own. Um, and ac actually, when I was at university, I was in a film society, um, and that was how much I loved films. I ended up in a house of everyone in the film society, basically. Um, and so we watched a lot of films at university. And at the beginning of 2020, in the first lockdown, I had what I think is a brilliant idea if I say so myself. I decided that what I was gonna do was I was gonna find the list of 250 best films on IMDb, and I was gonna complete that list. That's something I wanted to do since I was at university. Um, but the problem was they keep releasing new films, and so the, the list keeps changing. But during the pandemic, they stopped, and so that was my chance to catch up. That's why I thought it was a, a really good idea. And what I did was I, I made a spreadsheet, obviously, and I, I ticked off all the films that I'd watched, and I ticked off all the films that my wife Bethany had watched. And so we were able to find the remaining films that neither of us had watched, and we started watching them. And I think we did pretty well, um, but when we kind of returned to normality, we slowed down a lot. And so I've still only really watched about half of them. So 120 or so of the top best, you know, the top films of all time, which, which is okay, but I'd like to watch some more for sure. Um, and then a few weeks ago, Bethany was out and I had the evening to myself, and I decided, I know, I've got my spreadsheet, got it out. And I set up my filters so I could find all of the films that Bethany had watched and I had not yet watched, and there were four. And so I, I picked one of them, and it was a film called Three Idiots, which is actually a very good film. Bethany had watched, uh, released in 2009, if you've not heard of it, it's a Bollywood film. And having not really watched any Bollywood films before, I did not know what to expect. Um, but I knew that Bethany appreciated it, so I thought, well, I'll give this one a go. Um, and actually, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a great film. I would recommend it if you've not watched Three Idiots. Um, I think it was on Prime. Um, and there are a couple of things that I enjoyed about the film. I think there are, there are lots of, well, there are three idiots. Um, great characters, kind of central to the film. Um, and there is this story throughout, and there, there are lots of great things about it, and it's a comedy, which helps. Um, and this, this central character is called Rancho, and he is one of the idiots, and the reason he's described as an idiot is because he doesn't think about the, way, the world the same way as everyone else. He approaches everything differently, and he's in an engineering college studying engineering, um, and he would have graduated at the top of his class and all the rest of it. He's, like, he's, he's very intelligent, but he also thinks about the world very differently, and he stands out. And I think he's actually quite remarkable. And I found that when I was reading about um, Luke chapter 7 at the beginning, where we're going to look at Jesus meeting a centurion, I found myself with a passage that I wasn't familiar with, that was quite, um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. And I found myself thinking about this film, Three Idiots, um, which I was also wasn't expecting to be thinking about that when preparing this, preparing this message. And actually, I, I found some similarities. There is a central character in this story that stands out for me. He is quite remarkable. 
And I think the story itself also stands out when you compare it to the other encounters that Jesus has with people in the Gospels. Uh, this one is, I think, quite different. And so I'm hoping this morning that we're going to go through and we're going to learn some more about the remarkable character of the centurion and we're going to learn more about why this uh, encounter with Jesus that he has stands out. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 7, verse 1. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along or, or it'll be on the screen. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And Luke starts this chapter with a, a connective. He, he joins on from the previous chapter by saying, after he had finished his sayings. Uh, he's referring to um, some teaching that Jesus has done. You might have heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. He's finished his preaching and he's moved on to this fishing town called Capernaum, which is a, a small town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And as he enters Capernaum, he's approached by some messengers. We, we read that these Jewish elders have approached him with a message. And so we can see already that Jesus is presumably by this point quite well known word of his traveling to Capernaum has already spread, already reached the town, and messengers have been sent out by this centurion, who presumably also knows who Jesus is and knows what that means for him to be coming. And his servant is sick, so he sends out these Jewish elders to, to carry a message, which I think is also interesting. The, the Jewish elders would often not have really got along with the occupying army of the Romans, you know, it's, it's perhaps unusual to have them carrying a message for a, a Roman soldier. Um, but quite quickly, they offer an explanation for us. They, they say that he is a worthy man. He is worthy for you to do this. And they give a couple of reasons. They say he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And it's, it's quite likely that these were, in fact, leaders of the local synagogue. So perhaps that's why they've kind of got this relationship with this man, um, and he's clearly earned them, uh, earned their, their respect. His, the way that he has loved their, their nation and shown respect for their nation and their faith and their culture has earned their love and respect as well. And then, quite quickly, Jesus is off. He's with them. It says in verse 6, and Jesus went with them, as easy as that. There's no hesitation in Jesus. I, I love the willingness there of him to go with them and to, to help because he's been asked. Where was he going before that? I don't know. I don't, it's not clear what his plans were. It's not clear why he'd come to Capernaum. Maybe he was going to get some food after his preaching. 
Maybe he was going to stop there for the night and have some rest. But in a moment, he's set aside his plans and is on his way to help after being asked. And I'd like to point out that the centurion it really is a bit of an outsider here. In the, in the Jewish culture at the time, there were so many uh, people, particularly people like the Pharisees, who were so focused on who was out and who was in. And this centurion was definitely out. He's not Jewish. He's, as I said earlier, like a member of an army that has effectively invaded Israel and is occupying Israel. And in a sense, even just his gentleness would have been enough for many to, to not associate with him. But that doesn't deter Jesus. He's not interested in who is out and who is in. He is interested in meeting with people. We've, we heard so many times in the worship time earlier of contributions from, I think Nat read Psalm 23 and Hannah read as well. And the, the songs that we sang, Jesus is interested in meeting with us. And so... Before we go much further, I'd, I'd like to, to pause and reflect on that fact and recognize the good news that Jesus is interested in meeting people. And, and that good news, the gospel, is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He's not, as I said earlier, he's not concerned about who is out and who is in. He wants to meet with people. And so this morning, we can be encouraged that he's not interested in whether society deems us an outsider. He wants to meet with us. He's not interested in whether or not we were born in Israel. I don't think many of us are. He's not interested in what race we are. He, he wants to meet with us. It doesn't matter to him what society class we're in or what career we've chosen or whether we're at university, whether we've been to university. It doesn't matter what, how big our paycheck is or whether or not we're on benefits. He wants to meet with us. And, and perhaps this morning you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, or, or perhaps you're worried about your faith, maybe you feel like your faith is declining, or maybe it's not genuine, or maybe it's not enough. Well, he wants to meet with you too. And, and the gospel is full of stories of Jesus meeting with people who other people would not have considered worthy, but he met with them anyway because he loved them. And we see that in this story here, I think, with the centurion. And as I said, Jesus goes with them gladly. And I like to imagine him walking and talking with the local elders. Presumably they're, they're interested in Jesus, but they, they missed his sermon. So he's giving them a, a little short recap. Maybe he's kind of reviewing the finer points of the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand and why it's important to build your house on the rock. And I reckon he probably said, you know, don't worry. I know you missed it. We don't have time to recap everything. Peter here will upload it to the website. It'll be on the podcast if you want to catch up. Make sure you click like and subscribe, all of that kind of thing. And I think just as they were discussing the, the choices of podcast provider and things like that, this second group of messengers came along. This time the centurion has sent friends to meet them. And again, word of Jesus has reached the centurion. You know, oh, he's, he's actually coming here now. He's coming to your house. And he's... he's he seems to sort of panic. He's like, actually, no, sorry, Jesus. I didn't need you to come here. I just thought you were going to say the word. My servant would be healed. You'd carry on with what you're doing. I don't need you to come to my house. I don't consider myself worthy of you coming under my roof, he says. You know, you're, you're busy. You're a busy guy. You've got your next sermon to plan. You've probably got commentaries to read. You've got other things to do. You, you go and carry on with what you're doing. 
And, and the centurion contextualizes his understanding of Jesus' power, which is uh, very helpful for us. He says, you know, he's a military officer. He's, he's an army captain, if you like, in today's world. And the word centurion means he's in charge of 100 men, a century of men. And he understands that when he gives a command to one of his men, they listen and they obey. And he's got a servant as well. This one is sick. And when he gives instructions to his servants, the instructions are followed. And so he sees Jesus' authority and Jesus' power in exactly the same way. When Jesus gives a command, creation obeys. And so it's like he sees Jesus as a peer, as another military officer, but one who has authority over sickness and health, one who has authority over life and death. And he, he's, he says more. He says, I, I too am a man set under authority. That means he recognizes that his authority as a Roman officer comes from somewhere else. And he sees a similar thing in Jesus. He sees that Jesus has power and sovereignty. But he also sees a familiar thing, that his power comes from somewhere else. So this centurion man, his power comes from Rome. It comes from Caesar. But he sees in Jesus something greater. His power comes from somewhere higher. It comes from heaven. And so when Jesus speaks, his words have power. When Jesus speaks, things change. Just as Jesus spoke creation into being, he could speak a command and his servant would be healed. He doesn't need to come to the house. And I think the faith of this centurion is remarkable. I think this is the remarkable character in this story, the way that he thinks about Jesus, his understanding of his um, power and the faith that he has in him stands out to me. And I think that's one of the standout things of this story. And I think if you compare this kind of encounter to the other version, sorry, the other stories in the Bible where Jesus heals someone or perhaps he raises someone from the dead, I think generally speaking, you'll find that one of two things happen. Either the sick person is brought to Jesus or Jesus is brought to the sick person. And we, we almost saw that happen here. Jesus was on his way to the sick person. But before he got there, the centurion kind of put a stop to that. I, I've struggled to find many exceptions to this. So like, we're, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8 in a, in a few weeks' time, I think, where Jairus' daughter is healed and, and another woman is healed. And, and the story there is that Jairus is a, the leader of a synagogue and he... His, his daughter is sick, she's dying, and he goes and finds Jesus, and he fights through the crowd to get to him and says, please, teacher, come and heal my daughter who is dying. And, and again, they have to fight through the crowd. And it doesn't maybe quite go as Jairus had planned, but his daughter lives. And then in Mark, there are a few accounts where the sick people are brought to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, the story of the paralytic, quite well known, where Again, there's a huge crowd around Jesus. They can't get into the house, so they, they go up onto the roof and they tear up the roof and lower him down. They bring the sick person to Jesus and he is healed. In Mark chapter 7, a deaf man is brought to Jesus and healed. In Mark chapter 8, a, a blind man is brought to Jesus and healed. And yet in this story, when Jesus is already on his way, the centurion sends a, a second lot of messengers to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself. You don't need to come here. His faith is so remarkable. And I think also there's, there's humility in, in the way that he acts here. He doesn't want to trouble Jesus. 
He says he doesn't count himself to be worthy of him coming into his house, even though the, uh, the first lot of messengers said that he was worthy. He doesn't seem to feel like he's entitled to this encounter with Jesus. He doesn't feel like he's entitled necessarily even to the healing. He's, he's asking, he's making a request. There's no expectation from him. And one of the commentators, Daryl Bock, when he's talking about the centurion, he he's, describes him like this. He says, his humility had allowed others to honor him as a worthy man. But standing before the presence of God's messenger, he understood that God owed him nothing. And this understanding that, his has, that he has, and this humility and his faith, it surprises Jesus. And again, I think this is one of the only times in the Gospels where we see Jesus being surprised. So often he's surprising others, right? When he's teaching, the words that he is saying are, are radical and countercultural to his listeners, and they are surprised. And yet Jesus here, we read, marveled at him. He is simply amazed by this man's faith. And he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith? And I don't think that's a criticism of Israel. He's, as I said, he's just simply amazed by this man and his faith, by his understanding, by his humility. And then we read that the messengers return to the house and they find that the servant is well. Um, and actually, there's, I guess there's two things to note. One, Jesus hasn't gone with them, so the servant has been healed. But Luke doesn't actually record Jesus saying any kind of words of healing. Um, and I don't really want to get too much into that. I think it's reasonable to assume that Jesus said something and that the servant was healed. That's clear from the story, I think. Um, but it is clear, I think, that it's not a typical miracle story. This is not like some of the other healings that we read about in the Bible. And there's another message here. And, and perhaps that's why Luke leaves out that final detail about Jesus speaking the words. The Bible I've brought with me today um, is an ESV Bible, and all of my passages have headings, as I imagine most of your Bibles do. This, this one says, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. <laughs> and I'd like to do something quite controversial and challenge uh, what's in my Bible. Duncan's not too sure. Um, but it's okay. My, my reasoning is, first of all, Luke didn't write those, those five words. Someone else came along later and added in chapter numbers and verse numbers and headings and things. Um, and actually, they're very helpful. They help us to share the Bible and read the Bible together, don't they? But Jesus does heal a centurion servant in the story. I don't think that's what the story's about. And so I think we could find a, a better title that more accurately kind of focuses our attention on why, Jesus, sorry, why Luke has written this story. And so I would propose that we call this story Jesus Meets the Centurion. Nice and simple. Uh, and if you like titles for your notes, um, we can have maybe a snappier one, Remarkable Faith. I found that good stories, especially films, need two-part titles, don't they? <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> 2001, A Space Odyssey. Or one of my favorites, Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back. All of those are in the top 250, by the way, would recommend... <laughs> I'm going to go and see Top Gun on, on Thursday. Looking forward to that. So this, this story then, I think we can title Jesus Meets the Centurion, Remarkable Faith. Because that is the heart of the story. That is the message that we are to receive from it. 
You know, it's not just about the things that happen in the story. That, that Star Wars Episode Five is not called Star Wars Episode Five. Luke gets a robotic hand. That's something that happens, but it's not really what the film is about. Now, this, this story, this, it's not a film, maybe one day, this story is about Jesus meeting this man and the encounter that they have and the faith that the centurion has and his understanding of Jesus' power and his, Jesus' authority. And so there's some great news for us this morning. There is significance, I think, in the meeting that Jesus has with this centurion. But if we read that carefully, they don't actually meet face to face. The centurion kind of puts a stop to that. And so there's no reason to believe that this centurion ever meets Jesus face to face. There's, there's a dialogue, and as, as I say, I think the meeting is significant. Um, but his faith is so strong, even without seeing Jesus face to face in that way. His understanding of his power and his authority is still very real. He understands the power of God's word. And so that's great for us because we are some 2,000 years and more than 2,000 miles removed from first century Israel. And yet we, you know, we're therefore in a fairly similar position to the centurion. We have not met Jesus face to face. One day we will. What a great day that will be. But right now, we are reading about a man who lived a long time away and, uh, sorry, a long time ago and a long time away. That's a bit like Star Wars as well, isn't it? Um, and so that, I think, is really encouraging for us. But I think even more remarkable than the faith of this man in this story is that his faith is enough. And, and that should be an encouragement for us too, that our faith is therefore also enough. Jesus doesn't ask anything else of us. He just asks for faith. He, he has such great power and such great authority that he doesn't need anything else. He just needs our faith. And so we don't need to be Jewish. We don't need to be born in Israel. We don't need to have status or rank or power. Jesus has all the status and rank and power that he could ever need, that anyone could ever need. We just need faith. Perhaps we could have the, the band up, please. This, this story foreshadows, I think, the, the entry of Gentiles into the kingdom of God. As we see throughout Jesus' teaching, he, he goes to so many different groups of Gentiles and individuals. And so the fullness of the kingdom of God is ours as Gentiles if we have faith. We don't need to do anything else. We just need to respond to him and his coming with that faith, the same faith that we see in this centurion here. And so we don't need to have that face-to-face encounter with him. As I say, we can look forward to that day when we do. We can still have this kind of significant meeting with Jesus. And he wants that. Again, as we saw in our, our worship time, he wants to meet with us. He wants to come and be with us. He wants to pursue us. And so this morning, we're going to sing some songs to, to finish. And we're going to share communion, I think, in a little bit. And, and this is a great way for us to respond to Jesus with faith. And as we saw in the story, he wants to meet with us. And I don't know about you, but I want to meet with him. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. We're going to spend some time meeting with him and responding to this message with faith.